You're listening to the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast, your source for tips and tricks on building wealth through real estate in Connecticut. You will get the best techniques from leading local experts in real estate and lending. Now, here's your host, Robert Weinberg. Good day, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast. Along with Rob Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. Rob, good morning. Gary, how you doing this morning? Ah, my goodness. You know, I, I tell you, it's a daily struggle, brother. I, I take it one day at a time. Really, that's all I, that's I, all I can I think we all do. I think we all do. One day at a time. I try not to uh, look too much into the future. I mean, I know you got a plan. I understand that. But the, the more I look into the future and I try to go, it, it never ends up manifesting anyhow. Nothing ever materializes. I think if I just take it one day at a time, take each day as it comes, uh, I, I end up I can end up sticking to that plan a lot more easier than long term. And if you keep thinking about the future, you stress out about things that are just not even needed and really mm. end up not even coming to fruition, right? Well, people are losing money. Look at the stock market. People have lost a lot of money in their 401k. You know, and, you know, so people are upside. They're, they're, the economy, the way the economy is going, the way inflation is right now. Uh, there's a lot of people who are hurting, you know, they're borrowing against pensions. They're going into their savings accounts, their life. It, it's um, it's very sad to hear what people are doing just to try to make ends meet, you know. Yeah, it is. And one of the only asset classes that's doing well right now is real estate. Yeah, if you can find a property that's for sale, right? I mean, what the inventory isn't exactly in abundance. Yeah, well, buying and selling, there's different challenges. And actually, that's what I wanted to dive into today is a reality check on the real estate market. So this is the right episode if you're looking to find out what's really going on in today's real estate market. So why does everybody need a real estate, like, let's call it like a reality check right now? Everyone really does. And the reason is because the market has been so hot for so long and buyers are frustrated. They're really frustrated. Sellers are confused. They don't know if they should list now or if it's too late. And we're at a turning point in the market. We really are. And the shift has already started. So now's a great time, especially with the time of year, mm -hmm. you know, a little mm -hmm. bit past mid-year. Sure. It's a great time to just step back and really take that big picture view and make your strategy and make your plans for the future based on where we're at right now. Can you discuss the current status of the real estate market? Like, let's let's start with right now. So this is the summer of 2022 mm -hmm. because, you know, I remember it wasn't that long ago when there was an abundance of of properties available, and now there's and the interest rates were lower, but mm -hmm. the the asking price for the property was higher. Now the abundance is lower, as I mentioned a moment ago. The interest rates are higher, but interestingly enough. Instead of the price of the home going down, it's 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 maintaining. It's definitely so, staying stable. Yeah, yeah. Many people are surprised about that. So here's where we're at right now is we're coming off a huge seller's market. For the last two years, it's been the strongest seller's market that we've seen in the country in decades. Mm -hmm. uh, seller's market meaning that the advantage was on the seller side. The sellers could name their price, name their terms, and they'd find somebody that was willing to buy the house based on what they were looking to sell it for. 
buyers, based on it being so lopsided and in the seller's favor, buyers have been bruised, battered, beaten up, like they just got out of a dog fight. And a lot of them are, you know, stepping back. Um, properties, as you mentioned, were going up considerably. Last year in 2021, uh, across the country, the average appreciation was over 18%. That's unprecedented. It really is. So there's a couple statistics, though, that I uh, I brought with me that I want to talk about, which is from a, a data analytics firm uh, that I get a lot of info from, MBS Highway. And a lot of this is from Black Knight, who pulls real estate data from all over the country. So I know we have listeners from all over Connecticut, in Massachusetts, and throughout the country. But just because we're limited on time, I wanted to hone in on Hartford County, Connecticut, because mm -hmm. I get these statistics from all different counties and uh, a lot of listeners in Hartford County. So what I wanted to talk about was the statistics on the market here. So the median sale price in Hartford County right now is $285,953. Median meaning half of the sales are below that price, half of the sales are above that price. So in the last five years, regardless of what happened last year and the year before, the last five years, the appreciation in Hartford County is only about 5.5%. Very sustainable, right? If we look out in the future, they're forecasting 6.5% appreciation over the next year. And in the next five years, 23% appreciation. So what does that tell you is we're not at the height of the market. Mm. Prices do still have room to go. If you buy a home today, you're going to have appreciation. You're not going to be in a situation where you owe more than the house is worth or, God forbid, you know, you can't sell the house if you need to. We still have runway to go. It's based on supply and demand. So if you were to buy a house for the median price today of $285,953, in the next five years, you would gain almost $81,000 oh. in equity. Okay. Compare that to if you're, you know, renting somewhere and you're paying two grand, twenty five hundred, three thousand a month. How much equity are you going to have in the next five years? Zero. So yes, there's closing costs. Yes, there's interest, and there's other things that you have to factor in. But I think anyone would agree, eighty thousand to eighty one thousand in gain over the next five years. It's a good return on investment when you look at what you're going to put down to buy that home and what you're going to get in return. The other thing is, people are really concerned about this over this glut of supply coming on the market there's going to be all these foreclosures and the prices are going to implode or crash when i'm looking at the statistics though for i mean the inventory for every 1000 people there's only 4 homes for sale in the state of connecticut for every 1000 people that there are so that's not enough homes okay the supply is up month over month but if you go back pre covid it's way down so we still don't have enough homes for sale. And right now, there's going to be this year 11,000 new households formed in Connecticut, in Hartford County, I should say. Out of those 11,000, about 7,200 of those will be coming, basically buying homes that were previous homes, meaning that they were already on the market or they were already owned by somebody else. They're going on the market. But if you think about that, that's not enough homes. And there's only 1,269 homes being built in Hartford County this year. So there is a huge 
Huge undersupply. How does this even occur? I mean, I, I keep hearing about a mass exodus out of Connecticut because it's too—it's just too costly to live here. But based on these statistics, mm-hmm. that can't be true. No, it is true, but there were never enough homes. That's the thing. Recently, there haven't been enough homes. People have been turning to renting, of course, but now the prices of rents have gone through the roof. Now they're looking at buying. So that exodus out of the state, that's fine, but it doesn't make up for the difference that there's not enough homes being built. Now, in Connecticut in general and in the Northeast, we have a lot of old homes built in the 1800s or early 1900s. A lot of those homes are not sufficient for today's buyer. They don't have the room that they need. They don't have the amenities that they need. So we need new homes to be built. And what happened is builders got scared after the last crash, okay? So from like 2008 until 2020, there were not enough homes built because builders were scared. They had gone way overboard in the last housing boom and they were scared. So they didn't build enough houses when they should have. Now that there's huge demand, Now we're paying that price. That's why you're seeing the prices skyrocket. Again, supply and demand. So we are finally seeing the shift. We are finally seeing properties sitting a little bit longer. We are finally seeing less offers and less competition. So it hasn't shifted 100% over to a buyer's market, but it's starting to shift in that direction. What would you say the difference is between today's market and let's say, let's just go back six months ago? I think the big thing is less competition. So six months ago, you could put an offer in on a home and you might have 20, 30, 40 other offers coming in. And that's not an exaggeration. Then today, Mm. today, you're talking about putting an offer in on that same home. Yes, there's competition, but five, maybe 10 offers. Okay. So very realistic, something that can be overcome. When you have just a glut of offers, again, it's a seller's market. They can name their price. They can do what they want and really write their own ticket. When you have a limited number of offers, though, you have to be a little bit more flexible, right? You have to entertain an offer that maybe is lower than your asking price. You have Mm. to entertain the fact that maybe the buyer wants you to pay some of their closing costs or do a few repairs. So the number one difference is less competition. But at the same point, you're much higher in interest rate. So you're talking about interest rates in the beginning of the year, in the low threes, high twos. Now you're talking about interest rates in the high fives, low sixes. If you have lower credit, maybe into the high 6% range, what that means to a buyer is higher monthly payments, period, higher monthly payments. Now, Long-term, you can refinance that mortgage. You can use mortgage strategies like we've talked about on this show to lower your monthly payment, but we don't know. Is that going to be a year from now? Is that going to be a couple years from now? We just know it's going to happen. We don't know when. The last thing that I want to mention on differences between six months ago to today is the inventory levels. So CNBC's Diana Olick, who's a real estate reporter, she gets it wrong on a lot of items, but this is one statistic I took from her, which is how Housing inventory in June was 19% higher than a year ago. So 19%, around 20%, that's a significant increase from a year ago. But when we look at pre-COVID, overall inventory is still about half of what it was pre-COVID. Why would that occur? You may be asking, like, why would that be? Why is the inventory level so much lower now than it was pre-COVID? And I've done an entire show on this, which is what the value of housing now is after COVID versus before. Right now, people 
are still working from home more than they ever have before. A lot of kids are doing, you know, virtual learning or something that they're doing from home to supplement their schooling. And one or both spouses might be working from home. So you need more room. So all of that has created a scenario where there's more demand now for housing. People are spending more time in their house today than they did five years ago, three years ago. That means they're willing to pay more because there's more utility, there's more value in that. And it looks like that demand is here to stay. What are some myths and misconceptions in today's market? There's so many. There's so many I hear every day. I, I want to pick out just a couple of the main ones that I hear over and over again. So I'd say the most incorrect and common myth that I hear is this is a bad time to buy. Prices are too high. It's not a good time to buy. And I've been hearing that same myth over and over for years and years and years. Like even go back 2017, 2018, mm -hmm. I had buyers telling me, Rob, these prices are too high. I can't do this anymore. And hindsight 2020, if they would have bought a home in 2017, 18 or 19, they would have cleaned up financially. I mean, in most cases be sitting on six figures in equity. It's not a bad time to buy right now. It's actually a great time to buy, especially when you look at the last couple of years because of the competition being less, because of the inventory being more. Prices are not too high because prices are based on what a buyer and seller agree to sell a property for. When the prices are too high, you will start seeing them come down. Okay, right now that's not really happening. If anything, they're stabilizing. I've heard some statistics that over the next 12 months, we're forecasting anywhere from a one to 5% depreciation. That's not a crash, that's normal. That happens every year. You know, the prices go up certain times a year, the prices go down certain times a year. It's the seasonality of real estate. So the housing market crashing, that's another huge one that I hear all the time. I'm gonna wait. Housing prices are going to crash. There's no way this is going to continue to escalate the way it has. Housing prices are not going to crash. As I just said, maybe a 5% depreciation. That's a deceleration, not a crash again. So if you're going to sit there and wait for housing prices to crash, you're going to be sitting with the same people that were waiting for that in 2016, 17, 18, 19. And five years from now, you're going to wish you bought a house today because of the statistics that we're talking about. So I'm not going to be overpaying for a house today then? Well, overpaying versus what? A year ago or five years from now? I can only compare myself to today's market. So in today's market, you're not overpaying. Absolutely not. But people are getting in bids with each other. All right, my house. I'm going to ask. My house is uh, worth uh, two hundred eighty thousand. I'm going to ask though for three hundred thousand. That's fine. That's what the purpose of an appraisal is. So let's talk about that oh, scenario. But I'm not even done with with that scenario. So I'm going to list it for twenty thousand dollars more than what I'm told it's worth. So I'm going to put on a market for three hundred thousand. Oh, someone's offered me 301. Oh, someone's offered me 305. Oh, there's a bidding war. A third person's come in. 310. You're only going to get that so, mortgage, though, if the appraiser agrees. If the appraiser says that that house that's 280 that was bid up to 320 is not worth 320, then you have a decision to make. Do you want to eat the difference? In which case you are knowingly overpaying for a house. Or do you want to go back to the negotiation table? I've seen this happen a couple times recently. It's not, though, what you're talking about. It's not 50000 40000 30000 5000 I'm seeing. Okay. Oh, the appraisal came in 5000 less than the sale price. I had one a few weeks ago. Came in 10000 under the sale price. Well, that's interesting because... 
it was bid up 10,000 over the the listing price. So the property was like 180, they bid it up to 190. The appraisal came in at 180, the original price. How did that work out? They met in the middle. The buyer was willing to pay an extra 5,000, the seller was willing to cut 5,000, they met in the middle. Is that overpaying? Yeah, the the buyer the buyer overpaid 5,000. Is that a financially crippling situation? No. They could have walked away from the deal. They could have said, I am not willing to pay that extra 5,000. So you do have those options. But I want to finish the answer to that by saying, are you overpaying for a house today based on what it's worth five years from now? And I truly believe in everything that I know about this industry and almost two decades of experience that five years from now, if you don't buy today, you're going to look back and wish that you did. Talk about the demand drivers in the current market, let's say, versus previous real estate boom and the the bus cycle. Remember that yep, in the early yep. uh, 2000s? People keep making the correlation of the current housing boom to the one that happened in the early 2000s and then the bus cycle that happened in like 07, 08, 09. Big differences are back then, demand was driven by easy mortgages. You can get a mortgage basically by fogging a mirror. You didn't really have to put any money down. You didn't have to have good credit. So it was like, where do I sign and how many houses can I buy? And I had a friend of mine that bought five houses in just a few months using those programs. All of them got foreclosed on. That's what drove demand. This was a single young investor. He didn't have a family. Why would he buy five houses? Because it was easy to get a mortgage. Contrast that to today. Real demand, real household formations going on. Like I said, uh, Hartford County, 11,000 household formations this year. New Haven County, 10,750, I'm sorry, 10,750 household formations this year. That's a lot of new households. Thousands of people can move and we still don't have enough housing. Supply and demand. Go back to your economics class in high school or college. Sure, yeah. The first thing that they teach you is pricing elasticity and what is pricing based off of. And it comes down to supply and demand. Household formations has to do with people getting together and saying, hey, let's buy a house or, hey, let's have a family. Whether you're renting or owning, it doesn't matter. You're creating a new household. You need a place to live. With the rents going through the roof, landlords are seeing all these prices going up and they're raising these rents. What that means to you is if you're renting, get ready for an increase. Buying a home is looking better and better because yes, the prices are high. Yes, the interest rates are more than they were. But compare that to where you're renting, compare that to what you're getting, and you'll see building equity, creating a legacy for your family using real estate to build wealth. That's where it's at. That's what people have done for decades. That's what they're going to keep doing. Do you want to be part of that? Or do you want to be someone that two, three, four, five years ago says, I should have, I would have, I wish I could have, just like the people that didn't buy five years ago. Folks, you're listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast along with Rob Weinberg. I'm Gary Byron. Of course, you can find out more information at uh, robgw.com and at 860-413-3938. I will uh, be happy to repeat those uh, points of contact more towards the end of the show. Rob, what is the best way for someone who is finally ready to begin the home buying process, like where do they do they just start online, right? Or what? What's the, how do you begin the process? If what we're saying is resonating, and you're going, okay, this is a time I need to be looking further into buying a home. 
and I want to use real estate to build a legacy for my family, then really the first step in that process is get with a lender as soon as possible. Get in touch with me, get in touch with your mortgage advisor, get in touch with somebody that has experience to start the pre-approval process to know where you're at. Best case scenario, you're ready to go. You've got your down payment, you've got your credit in check, your income is ready to roll, and you can get pre-approved right away. Worst case scenario though, you might have some work that needs to be done. Credit challenges, maybe you don't have any money or very little saved for a down payment. You're going to need time to get that in place. Maybe a couple months, maybe a year or more. Start today. The sooner you get that game plan in place, the sooner you can start on that path. And the next thing that you want to do to make sure that you are best prepared for meeting a lender and for that home buying process is get all of the supplemental documents that you're going to need. Get those ready to go because one of the first things we're going to do when we meet with you is we're going to ask you to supply some documents to validate your identity, validate your assets, and validate your income. So the documents I'm talking about are going to be a government photo ID. It doesn't have to be a driver's license, but any photo ID to validate your identity. It can't be expired, by the way. It needs to be current and valid. The next thing is going to be your most recent paycheck stubs for if you're a W-2 employee or your most recent couple years tax returns if you're self-employed. And then you're also going to want to have your most recent couple years of W-2 forms or 1099 forms. And then the last thing is going to be asset statements. So we need to see where you have money for the down payment, for closing costs, for reserves, whether that be a 401k, IRA, cash value life insurance, investments, checking, savings, money market, any of those or all of those, we need to get statements for to show where you've got the money so we can source that you have enough money to buy a property. Now, don't think that just because you don't have money in any of those, you're out of luck because I have a lot of clients right now using gifts from family as a major way that they are supplementing the money they need to buy a home. Prices are up. Interest rates are up. What can you do to help? See if there's a family member that's maybe a little more well off to help you. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, brother, sister, any blood relative um, can typically help you buy a home and use that gift funds and treat it like it's your own. So can be a great place to start. What if somebody wants to keep their current home, uh, maybe like as for a rental, let's mm -hmm. say, and then buy a new home for their primary residence? This is really common right now. I've had a lot of people come to me and say, I've seen the rents going up. I don't want to let go of my home. Right, right. I want to keep it because my mortgage is only $1,500 a month, but I can rent this thing out for like $2,500 a month. So they see that and they get excited about a rental income, right? About that passive income that everyone loves and one of the main reasons people invest in real estate. So there is absolutely a way to do that. You have to work with a lender that knows the guidelines, knows the process, but in most cases, the easiest mortgage to get based on that scenario is going to be a conventional loan through Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. They're going to allow us to offset the mortgage payment on your current home with the lease or the rental agreement that you have. So we'll need to show a copy of the rental agreement. We'll need to show proof of security deposit. And then we can use up to 75% of that rental income to offset that mortgage payment. So then you can buy a new home and the old home won't count against you. Because a lot of people have that challenge, right? Yeah. They say, well, 
I've got this house and I want to buy another. I want to build my portfolio like you talk about, but I only make 50,000 at my job or 60,000, 70,000. How can I afford two mortgages? And they just write the idea off. They don't understand that there are special guidelines that are out there to help you to expand your real estate portfolio. Again, you just need to work with a lender that understands and knows these guidelines and has the experience working with underwriters to know what is going to be needed. Get those documents in play up front so that you your loan can get approved without any issue, very smoothly and without a lot of stress. Wow, that's that, simple. Well, that's that does seem simple. Exactly. So I think the other thing that we really want to focus on, Gary, when it comes to buying multiple properties is, you know, what's your long-term agenda, right? What's your long-term goal? And for some people, it's buy one or two properties and have passive income coming in. Other people want to have a huge portfolio of five, 10 plus properties that they could have rental income every month coming in and really supplement like a retirement income or supplement their job income or whatever that it may be. So, that's a real discussion that you want to play out with your mortgage advisor and with your real estate professional because we can begin with the end in mind. We can set up mortgage strategies and real estate strategies for you that are going to help you get to three to five to eight plus properties if that's what you're looking to do. And we can also do the same thing if you're just looking for one or two additional properties. So we really got to look at that. Everyone's got their why. So you really got to look deep down inside as what's your why and what are you really looking for, you know, over the long term with real estate? Because everybody's got different goals. Right? I had always thought, though, I thought you mentioned in a previous episode that if you're buying a house for a rental, it's a completely different process to obtain that mortgage. Yes. Much bigger down payment required and all that. But in this case, we're talking about somebody taking the home they live in now and turning, turning it that into, into a rental, rental. Right. and then buying a new home to live in as their primary home. That's the easy way to do it because then you get the best terms on the new loan and your previous loan that you used to live in, you don't have to do anything with that, right? So that loan that you got when you were living there, that loan is still valid. You don't have to refinance it into worse terms. You can leave that loan as is. In most cases, you know, talk to your mortgage advisor, but typically as long as you've lived there for at least a year since you got the mortgage, there won't be any issue or repercussion turning that home that was a primary into a rental property. And like you always say, a multifamily homes are different, right? Where you have to, they recommend if you're a first time buyer, you should really live in you one, have in, to. In I mean, if units. you're doing an FHA loan, which was what I, it's what I recommend for multifamily, the the key strategy that you use there is you buy a multifamily home, you live in one unit of that home for at least a year as your primary residence. You rent out the other units to help bring in rental income, and then after a year, you go buy another property, but you keep that property as a rental, and then the unit that you used to live in, mm -hmm. now that creates additional cash flow. So now in most cases, you're paying your mortgage, taxes, insurance, and there's money left over, and with an FHA loan for multifamily, you only need as little as three and a half percent down. So it can be really attractive, especially to first time buyers that want to build out that portfolio quickly. And don't forget maintenance. You're always going to need a new roof. You're going to need a new furnace at some point. You're going to- At some point, you yeah. always want to factor that in. And that's one of the reasons why you don't want to deplete every dime you have when you're buying a home, because sure. you want to have money for the upkeep, the sure. maintenance, the repairs. It's just something that's necessary so that you don't go into debt, so that you don't end up in financial turmoil when the hot water heater breaks, when the roof needs a repair. You got to be ready for that. Folks, you're listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show in the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast. If 
you'd like to have more information, simply head online to www.robgw.com. Again, it's robgw.com. If you'd like to make an appointment with Rob Weinberg, it's very easy to do. 860-413-3938. Again, it's 860-413-3938. And if you'd like to send Rob an email, uh, maybe we can even get your question answered on these very airwaves. That's easy to do as well. It's Mortgage Matters Radio Show at gmail.com. For Rob Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. Thank you so much for listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast. Until next weekend, have a good one, everybody. So long. Thanks for listening. If you have questions about the information we've covered or would like to discuss mortgage financing for your situation, you can reach Robert Weinberg by visiting www.robgw.com.